and patiently waited, obtained the promise. And uh, we've been talking about Abraham's journey of faith, and he wasn't perfect, and neither are we, but he proved to be a great faith father. Amen? And uh, I just want to encourage you with this. If walking by faith was so easy, wouldn't there be more people doing it? You know, sometimes we get discouraged because we think, man, this is so hard. Well, it's so hard because it's so out of the ordinary. It's so different than the world. And so it's different than how we've been trained. And so if it was easy, more people would be doing it. More people would have mastered it. And if it was easy, it wouldn't take great patience. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. See, there wouldn't be no waiting. There would be no patience developed in us. And some of you are all saying, well, I don't need any more. All right. We learn that God is working all things out for our good, according to Romans 8.28, because we love him. We've learned that according to Philippians 1, 6, what he has begun in each one of us, he's going to complete until the day of Christ. So what do we have to worry about? Why are we anxious about things? Because we know that he's working on our behalf. He has our best interest at heart and in his mind. He's the one who thinks the best about us, better than anybody else, better than what you think about yourself. Hmm. And then we have to remember that we are his first. We belong to God first. Before anyone even knew we were coming into this world, God did. He was knitting us together, according to Psalm 138, in our mother's womb, in the secret place, in the place that nobody knew about. God was working. We were on his mind first. And so regardless of our birth circumstances, regardless of the struggles in the natural that we've encountered or or whatever Uh, experiences, negative, difficult, harsh, abusive, whatever circumstances we have found ourselves in, God is greater than them. And he wants to be right there with us and for us. And he promises to work all things out for our good. The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that he can and will work all things out for our good? Because we love him. And that brings me to Galatians 6, 7. And it says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And so right there he's telling us we've got two choices of what we're going to do. Either sow into the natural, into the flesh, into this world, and be miserable, or sow into the spirit and find the life that God has for us. Not just the eternal life when we die and get to heaven, but his life living in us now. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Yes, Lord. For in due season, everybody say due season, we will reap 
if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so in speaking this to the Galatian churches, um, we have to understand that it is possible to grow weary in doing good. Because if it wasn't, he wouldn't have said not to. So it is possible. Has anyone in here ever got tired of being the doormat? You, people know that you're a Christian and then they take advantage of you and you become the doormat and you just want to know, God, when is this going to end? Or you're the only one at work that stands for God, stands for righteousness, stands for truth, does the right thing, works hard, and everybody else gets to play around. And then you decide that one day you're going to play around and God comes down on you and says, ah, can't do that. And you're like, but God, can't I just have a break? Have you ever asked the Lord, why do I always have to be the first one who gives? And we say that because we're like, can't I just be the one who receives sometime? Paul is trying to get them to see and to actually remind them that as we sow, that is what we're going to reap. And Paul's encouragement is for them to be sure to stay in tune with the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. To sow according to the Spirit, not according to what they see in the natural. But stay in agreement with God. Stay in agreement and sow in with the Holy Spirit. He's trying to get them to get their eyes off of what is going on in the natural and to step out of the natural realm into the supernatural realm because he's trying to get them to remember that their first spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. We have to remind ourselves of that. And Paul's doing that right here. We have to remember that we're just spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. These bodies are going to waste away. This is not our complete life. Hallelujah. So we're talking about waiting and, and Paul, you know, the Galatian church, they were going through some rough times. So rough that some of them were losing the faith and stepping out of faith. And Paul's trying to remind them to come back and to stay true to God. Uh, I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. You don't have to turn there because it's just quick. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And we use this scripture for giving that, you know, that we need to give. But uh, one of the things that we, we need to remember also is, is that It'll come back to us. We'll find it after many days. <laughs> if I say many days. <laughs> you know, this is how we are. We tell God, okay, God, I, I'm going to start being faithful. I'm going to give now. And so we give, but we give with the anticipation that he's going to give us something right away. Right? And so he doesn't do that. And then we get all mad. We get all bent out of shape. Well, God, I gave. Why didn't you give to me? Because it says, you will find it after many days. So there's many days between that. It's like our farmer when he plants his corn. You know, he plants the corn, 
but he doesn't go out there and yell at it and dig it up and want to know, you know, what's happening. And I also want to encourage you with this. When he plants the corn, he expects to receive a harvest of corn, not of anything else. And then when he plants soybeans, guess what? He's expecting to see soybeans come up. And he's expecting a, uh, to reap a harvest of soybeans. And I say that because all of this is, what are we sowing? And if you don't like what you're sowing or what you're reaping, then check out what you've been sowing and change it. And that's the beauty of God. He allows us to repent. He allows us to change. He allows us to sow different seed, new seed, so we can have a different crop come in. Mm. And so if you don't like what you're receiving, then check out what you've sown. Reseed for a new harvest. You know, if you don't, you'll just stay frustrated and, and uh, you'll stay stuck when God has given us the opportunity, the freedom to sow something new, something different. We talked last week about how when we are forced to wait, that God is working greater things in us and God sometimes has to cause us to wait until we run out of all of our resources, all of our wisdom, all of our friends, and we come to an end of ourselves and our abilities in the natural, and then the only one to turn to is Him. You know, if we don't turn to Him right away, then He'll outweigh us. He'll wait. He'll wait until we've exhausted everything. And when we're waiting, we can see that as a difficult, unloving place, but if we will... Trust God when we're in that place. It will become a place of great transformation for us. Last week we looked at this Psalm 46.10. And it says, be still and know that I am God. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to be still. And so God has to make sure that we become still at times. And we can get all bent out of shape if we want. But I'm here to tell you that the reason that God wants us to be still is because he wants us to figure out he's God. He wants us to know without a shadow of a doubt he's God. And then after that, he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And what great promises. But you know how he's going to do that? He's going to do it through people who have become still and learned and know that he is God. And so he has to work that in us first. He's got to cause us to be still so that we can remember that he's God and we're not. And most of us don't talk, take waiting well. He brings us to those places of silence, of stillness, so that God can be exalted in us and then he can be exalted among the nations. What greater thing can we ask of God that he uses us? but he's got to work himself in us. He's got to transform us. And he he does part of that, not all of it, but he does part of that while we're still. It's in the quiet place that God begins to transform us, transform the way we think about him, the way we think about others, and the way we think about ourselves. He begins to work his character, his nature of love deep down, within us. 
Now, this is true in my life, so I happen to believe that it's true in your life as well. You ever get mad at God because you've gotten mad at somebody else or uh, you've been frustrated, angry, whatever it is with somebody else? And you just want God to fix that other person. And you just tell God, you know, if you would just fix them, my day would be great. I would be a wonderful person if you would just fix that. And, and it's like falling on deaf ears and God doesn't even hear what we're praying. And he really doesn't because it's not about that other person anyway. I have found in my life when I get upset at somebody, it's because he's trying to work on me. He's trying to get my attention. He's just using the other person to wake me up. And then we'll get all mad at God because we want him to fix the other person. If you just fix them, I will be happy. And God says, no, I'm going to fix you and then they will be happy. <laughs> Turn with me to Romans chapter 13, please. You know, when this first starts happening and, you know, God doesn't pay any attention to the other person that you're praying about. They go off and they're doing things and they're still probably sinning and still getting blessed. And you're just like, you're just, oh, it's because he's working in us. He's trying to get to our heart. Because he needs us to have his heart for people. He needs, to, he needs to have the freedom to work in us. I find that when I'm in those situations that he's trying to get me to see and love others as he sees and loves others. And the longer it goes by, you start having peace towards the other person because God starts showing you things. He may even explain things as to why they did that and, you know, the difficulty that they're going through. And you didn't know that. You know, it's interesting. We went out for dinner the other night. And uh, the service was great, but it was slow. I mean, I don't know if they had to go get the food, if they had to go find the cook. I don't know what it was. But the waitress was really nice. And so, um, as my usual, you've heard this story before. I, I, she gives us a check. I give her the card. And I said, hey, when you come back, I said, can you bring your manager with you? And then, you know, that gets them all flustered and nervous and stuff. And so they came back. And uh, she introduces me to the manager. And I looked at him and I said, Sir, I just want to tell you, I won't say her name, but I said, she has done a great job tonight. And I said, we wanted you to know that. And we are so grateful that she was our waitress. And then Diana speaks up and she says, you know, we want you to know this because we know that you hear a lot of negative stuff and we want you to hear something positive today. And the waitress is standing right there and I thought she was going to start crying. And she says, oh, you don't know how much negative we've had tonight. But I'm telling you that do not do that if you don't tip them well. Because if you don't tip them well, then everything you just said goes right out the door. And I tipped her well. So well that my wife was like ready to go out the door after her. 
give me some of that money back. But it's, that's the heart that God is trying to work in us. So in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, it says this. Oh, owe no one anything except to love each other. Wow. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If you don't know what the will of God is for your life, here it is. This is one aspect of the will of God for your life. To love others as he has loved us. If you do that, you will fulfill the law. Verse 9 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm telling you, this faith walk is not easy. It requires something supernatural. It requires the Holy Spirit in us. It requires us to be in that still place where God can work on us and he can transform us and he can allow his character to be developed in us so that we can love others as he has loved us. And if nine isn't bad enough, can we just go ahead and read 10 too? Just throw it all on the fire. Here's verse 10. Love does, love does no wrong. Love does no wrong. To a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And I believe that we learn this in the waiting times, in the times that we're still before the Lord. And this is the high standard that God has called us to. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit to live and walk in this kind of love, God's kind of love. You can turn there, but you probably know it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. You happen to know this has got to be one of my all-time favorites. Because this is such a contrast from the natural life versus the spiritual life. And it doesn't come easy. It, it takes faith to do this. This is the standard that God has called us to. And it, it's difficult. You can't do this by yourself in the natural. You have to have God in you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. In other words, he's talking about to the ones that are hard, to the ones who are difficult, to the ones you want to quit. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if 
when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good, and what did, he, what did Paul say back in Galatians? Do not become weary in doing good. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I'm telling you, you can't walk this out unless you have faith in God and unless you've come to that place where you've been still before the Lord and you find out that he is God and you are not. And he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth through you when you die. And I'm not talking about physically dying, but dying to ourselves. Laying aside, taking off the old and putting on the new that God offers us. This isn't an easy way to live. It's not even an easy way to have thoughts. But we have to have the word of God that keeps coming before us in that quiet time so that when we encounter these times, we're willing to suffer because we understand God suffered for us. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. And we remember how he did it. He opened not his mouth. He didn't threaten. <laughs> I'm longing to get to that place. Open not his mouth. I, I want to get to the place where I don't have to threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, please. Matthew chapter 22. May I tell you that walking by faith is not easy and only the tough can do it. And I don't mean harsh, but I mean you have to be willing and able to withstand the onslaught that the world says about you and thinks about you. You have to be willing to take it in and overcome it. And again, I believe that it's when we're in the quiet place and God is working in us, making us like him. Then we come to understand he calls us to love others as he has loved us. And this brings me to Matthew 22, verse 36. And this is a reminder of the greatest commandment. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, he's saying what we read in Romans chapter 13, that the fulfillment of the law is when we have come to the place where we love others as he has loved us. 
And that's what this is all about. All right, before I have you turn to the next one, everybody say, we love you, Pastor. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, please. 1 Thessalonians, it's coming. You know, this is so exciting. We get to love people like God has loved us. What greater joy is there? Until 1 Thessalonians 1 comes into being. You ready? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Everybody say, your work of faith. And labor of love. Oh, y'all didn't say that one. Say that with me. Labor of love. And steadfastness of hope in, the, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul lays out three things for them concerning their faith journey. Number one, their work of faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, their labor of love in Jesus Christ. And number three, their steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. Faith is work. That's what he's saying. Work of faith. Faith is work. Faith is doing something. You have to be able to be doing something in order for your faith to work and to be revealed, right? To be exercised. Steadfastness of hope is work also. It's hard to be steadfast in hope when you have all of this crap going around you, all of these negative circumstances bombarding you. And we are called to have steadfastness of hope. But it takes work to do that. But then he says, there is the labor of love. How many of us ever think about labor of love? That means that love takes labor. It takes great effort. It requires great things from us. And you thought you were just going to love people from a distance. You, can, this, you cannot love people from a distance and have your labor of love. Have we ever considered how much work goes into loving others? And that is what we are called to do. Think about Jesus himself. He loved us, but it was a labor of love. And he went to the cross. It wasn't easy. We just, you know, we want to love as long as it's easy and it's not dirty and it doesn't uh, crimp our style. We'll love then, but call, ask us to do something. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. There's limits to our love. Well, then that's just love. It's not a labor of love. And we have this notion, oh, we'll just give money or we'll give something else. But so that we, we say stay distance from people. But real love is costly. It's going to cost you something. It's going to demand of you. It's going to require action on our part. And I think this is where I've seen many Christians miss it. They're not willing to pay the price for loving others. 
And so we just dismiss this command and we think, oh, well, I'll just pray for them. That'll be my love for them. You're just going to pray for them? Oh, okay. Here's your check off. Loving others is going to cost us. We will be used. Remember I talked about being a doormat? That's the labor of love. You're going to be used. You're going to be abused. You're going to be taken advantage of. That's the labor of love that Paul is talking about here. You can't love others and then not be taken advantage of. I am so glad y'all told me you loved me before I started this part. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. If we're going to love others well, then guess what? We're going to be inconvenienced. We're going to be pulled out of our comfort zone. God is going to ask of us to do things that we don't feel comfortable doing, but He wants us to do them anyways, because it's not about us. That's how it is to love like Jesus. Now, I have seen two labors, two births, I don't need to see any more. I've seen two. The first one we thought was difficult. Alicia, 26 hours. We thought that was difficult. Then the next one, Caleb, 32 hours. I told her after Caleb, I said, look, honey, I can't go through any more of these labors. (laughs) That long enough. And as hard as those labors are, there's such joy afterwards and I want to encourage you this morning that as hard as your labor of love may be when you're loving somebody there is so much joy knowing that God has used you to touch somebody else's life maybe even to bring something into their life maybe bringing salvation whatever it is touching their life when you love and you love well there's nothing that can beat that it is going to cost you i will tell you that if there's going to be a labor of love and if you're not laboring you aren't loving oh, woo. don't shout me down i know it's good and i'm telling you it's not natural for us to want to labor in love That's why we have to have that quiet place, that still place when we come before the Lord and God begins to work in us and he begins to challenge us. He begins to change us. He begins to transform our hearts. And then we see people, we see them totally different. We see them from his perspective, his eyes, his thoughts. And then when he asks us to do a little bit of labor, we're willing to do it because we've been with him. And we realize it cost him to get us. And so we're now willing to do that as well. And so I want to encourage you when it comes, when we're still, when we're in that waiting period and we are getting God's heart for his people. So that, again, it's then that he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth when he finds people who have been transformed in the quiet place, in the stillness, and we are becoming more and more like him. And we have God's heart, and we love like he loves us. So again, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid of the quiet times God prepares for us so that we can learn 
of his ways. We can get his heart for our lives. Don't be afraid of them. When we have God's heart for people, I, I just I had to make this disclaimer. You will grow weary in doing good. You will. I know Galatians tells us not to grow weary in doing good. But you will because it's a labor of love. But I want you to know that you can snap out of it too. Just as quick as you got into it, you can come out of it. And you can begin to rejoice because of what is coming. Because of your labor of love. Stand with me if you will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for this time together to be in your presence, to worship you, to exalt you, to believe for the supernatural in our lives, for healing. Father, we thank you for the privilege of praying for those who need healing this morning. And Father, we thank you for your word that lets us know that even in the quiet times, even when you've prepared them for us and it seems like it's the enemy or it seems like it's something else. Father, we thank you that you take everything and you turn it around for our good because we love you. And thank you for working in us in those quiet places, in that stillness, and we realize that you're God and we aren't. And we allow you to work your heart in us, your heart of love towards people. And Father, that we begin to fulfill that law of love like Jesus did because we're willing to labor in our love for others as you have for us and as the Thessalonians did for one another. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. All right, go labor.